0: Happy Monday, my love, and welcome back to the One Day Wonder podcast with the Hot Weird Girl. New episodes drop every Monday at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. If you like this podcast, please share it with one friend, and please be sure to rate this podcast a five stars on Apple Music and Spotify. It helps the growth of this program so much, and it just means a lot to me personally. If you're a Spotify user, you already know the drill. You can interact with me every week, not only through my DMs, and I'm at Hot Girl. that's girl to zero instead of an I, on all social media platforms. Platforms. That's TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. But you can also interact in the polls, polls about sound quality, which that feedback is really important. So I can continue to put out um, high quality product for you guys. And I will just say that I'm really happy with how this podcast sounds and how last week's podcast sounded in particular. Um, But also what topics you want to hear. It really is something that I use in the creation of this podcast and it means so much to me. So I just want to thank you in advance for your participation. Without further ado, let's get into this week's topic. Something that I'm really fascinated by is the creator economy because I am obviously a content creator. But before that, I was just a huge consumer of internet content and culture. And so when I approach making content, I've always thought about what would I want to see, which I think is the best approach if you want to be a creator, truly make the content that you would tune into every week and you'll be surprised how many like-minded people will really flourish to your stuff. But something that has annoyed me for a long time as a consumer, and I think is really escalating now with TikTok shop and Amazon storefronts, is how willing content creators are to sell out their audience's brand loyalty and trust for some of these cheap brand deals. I kind of talked about this in the second episode of my podcast overall, stay at home moms and I hate your Amazon storefront. And then I th- think the last part of the title involved hookup culture but don't quote me either way it's episode two but I didn't focus on um Amazon storefronts with a lot of specificity which I kind of want to do today and I think the overall thesis statement of this episode is content creators are now looking at the short term of the money they can make and we'll get into how the economy plays into all of that and the expectations of content creation as a lucrative career um But all of these gains are coming at the cost of their audience, and I think the long-term repercussions is that your audience is just going to fall out of favor with you when it becomes clear that you're only viewing their support as dollar signs. Now, I just want to state up front that I don't think content creators should be barred from making content on their art. I think it is an art form and artists have the right to profit. But I don't think, and I've never thought that making money is something you're inherently entitled to as a content creator. And I think that mentality that like, I should be getting paid. In fact, I only think there's one situation where you're automatically entitled to revenue and that's where ads are being run on your content. So that would be like a YouTube, I think Twitch may do that as well. Something where your viewers are profiting into revenue for advertisers who are using your platform to like put their ads on you should be entitled to a portion of that revenue but everything else sort of comes at the discretion of the platform that you're using now I am mainly a TikTok creator trying to transition off of that platform by the end of the year but that's a different discussion for another day And I just want to be honest about how the TikTok beta program works and how that's impacting our algorithms. So TikTok assigns you a certain dollar amount, typically in cents, but the bigger creators, I think the highest that I've seen personally is some people get $2.00 views or cost per qualified view and that's the amount of money that like every time there's a qualified view and notably qualified views don't come from people who are looking at your page or who are viewing your stuff in the following tab it's only from non-stitches organic content over a minute that's popping up on the for you page and you can get paid my think, I think it's mine's like 96 cents. It fluctuates between like 95 and 99 cents. So every, for every qualified view, but it doesn't exactly translate to that because if I get 200,000 views, I'm not making like, I cannot do math. We're getting into a math competition. I think, look, I put myself in a math corner that I can't exactly equate myself out of, but the amount that you would get off of that, there's also other equations that come into it. And what I'm trying to say in a very roundabout way is, You're not making that amount, but you are making a couple hundred and there are some creators who make thousands per month. And that is... That can be a pretty big deal. If you ever look at a creator and you're like, why do they have bad take after bad take? Or why do they keep telling embarrassing stories? It's because the more traction that you can get on your posts, the more comments like shares, especially if there's outrage content, like if people use capital letters and exclamation points and emojis, that signals to the algorithm that this video is valuable to be viewed. And that pushes your chance of going on the For You page. And because the For You page is the place where you stand to make money, it is very much in your incentive if you're purely looking at TikTok as a money-making platform to push out salacious content so that you can continue to make revenue. This is not a super popular opinion amongst creators. And I've actually had some debates with my creator friends um, on this opinion, but I know it's sort of widely popular with audiences, and I'm always very fascinated by like the relationship between the creator and their audience because I am not a network television show like you're not just going to tune in and as we've seen with creators who have made the very fatal flaws of telling their audiences that they're disposable not valuable they don't appreciate their input people can turn on you very quickly and while I think you can bounce back from a lot of situations as a creator particularly by addressing your missteps humbly honestly and then not dwelling on it too much because I do think that some people take the odd opportunity to just take it too far and feeding into that is sort of like feeding the trolls. Um, Very few people manage to come back from those situations because it's really hard to get people to get over their hurt feelings when you're their comfort creator. Like if I'm your comfort creator and I said, you know what, I actually don't give an F about you tuning in every Monday at 7.30. Your support means nothing to me. I don't like when you write to me. You would never listen to this podcast again. And you shouldn't because I wouldn't listen to a creator that has treated me that way. I don't even listen to musical artists, Doja Cat, who tell their fans to F off. And I brought up the network television example because when you're a celebrity or you're the type of platform that just knows you have a certain audience tuning in, you kind of don't have to take into account audience feedback to the extent that you do if you are just one person with equipment in your house or even a small production team putting you out there so I really I guess if I could give another piece of advice to creators it would be like you have to deliver what your audience wants obviously stay true to your artistry but if you found a formula that works for you and your fan base why deviate? but back to that unpopular opinion i don't think you're entitled to be able to do content creation full-time i don't think it's something you're entitled to retire offer i don't think it's something you're entitled to just because you have a certain amount of followers to not work a regular job particularly if you or someone who is working like a nine to five or a different career and then switching to full-time content creation. And I don't think it's your audience's responsibility to support you through financial troubles that come from being a freelance entrepreneur, because that's what full-time content creation is. It is, you are running your own business. The business is the content you put out there, the revenue, whatever. And it's kind of like when small businesses do that annoying thing where they're like, help keep a small business afloat. And it's like, okay, you're kind of Like, yes, but I think that sort of guilting people into purchasing your product or buying what you're selling, it only works for so long and it ends up alienating a lot of your potential customers. And I think content creators do that when they're like, well, my full-time job is content creation and I didn't make any money this month. And it's like, okay, then you should do what every other person who can't make money this month and is also technically unemployed or isn't making enough money from freelance does and get a traditional job with a paycheck that you get twice a month or every two weeks that's sort of the obvious solution. And I feel like people lose sight of that, particularly when the majority of people who tune into your content, like they're not living the same lifestyle that you do. And this is really no shade to full-time content creators, Just wanna make that clear. But sometimes I think there is a disconnect. You should probably never get on the internet and say that as a full-time content creator, I can't pay my rent and everyone knows that you are not taking your ass to, oh, I'm trying not to swear, taking your ass to a restaurant or applying for a corporate job. And I think a lot of people, particularly people who are trying to become influencers, beauty creators, um, when I say influencer, I mean like lifestyle content creators, are trying to approach their content with this mentality of like, well, I need to figure out how to monetize this as fast as possible. And it's like, okay, you can accept free product from a brand in exchange for making a video, which is, once you hit a certain threshold, it's no longer worth it. Like, unless it's a designer brand or something that's way more expensive or at the rate that you would charge per video is giving you something to promote, but a lot of the girls who are out here on these, like, hashtag micro-influencer trends claiming they're getting free branded product, every day if you put your email on TikTok, um, foreign brands Will email you and be like, hello dear, would you like to sell wig? Would you like to sell nightlight? Would you like to sell whatever? And then because of TikTok shop becoming a thing in the past few months, you stand to make 40% commission. And that's the thing about TikTok shop. People are promoting it so hard because you don't actually make that much, like it's very much a volume game. Um, the offers that I've seen in my DMs and that I'm reading now is if I sold a toothbrush on TikTok shop that retails for like $4.99, I would make 70, no, they would get 70% of the commission, I'd make 30 cents. So I have my calculator in front of me. So let's see, $5. So I would make $1.50. In order for that video to be profitable or to make any sort of meaningful, um, commission i would have to pump that so hard that's why these tiktok shop things are trying to sell you like mid-tier products in terms of yes it's not going above sixty dollars but it's definitely not something that you can think of grabbing quickly because the products that are like 199 299 399 that you could just grab and probably wouldn't think about the same way that every target at the front of the store makes a lot of money by just selling you like mindless junk products but you justify it to yourself because oh it's only four dollars this isn't gonna really hurt my bank account so, too, are these e-commerce shops trying to get you to buy little trinkets. But creators don't make as much money or commission off of these little trinkets. So, that's why they're trying to get you to buy, like, forty-nine ninety-nine dollars pet vacuums. The problem with that, of course, is that it's annoying as fuck. Everyone knows that those products don't work, okay? It's Temu quality, Shein quality, at best, probably some worse third thing. It's not actually going to work the way you says it will, but it's preying on people who either A, don't know any better, B, really believe that creator um, when they say something, C, just straight up have a shopping problem, and not every person with a shopping problem is going out and buying designer purchases. And it degrades the trust your audience has in you. And as I'm going to keep hammering home, Your audience having a good relationship with you, trusting your word and your intentions, they don't always have to agree with you. They don't always have to like the things you say, but they do have to think that you're a person of integrity. And not having that integrity very very difficult to build a long-term audience and so i think people are looking at the short-term dollar signs and being like well i could make six hundred dollars this month from putting out inflammatory content i could make a couple thousand because there are people who make a couple thousand on tiktok regularly every month by putting out inflammatory content i can try to take advantage of all the views i'm getting by selling something stupid on tiktok shop oh, this wig company just emailed me. I'm going to sell the girls a wig, even though I'm only getting $500 in exchange. But that $500 means something to me. And that's the other part of it is like, yes, the economy is hard. And I understand the financial motivations that people would have to take this money, right? Because if you're, if TikTok presents itself as like the opportunity for a side hustle, and then you're making there's suddenly like a new six to like 3,000 in your bank account every month. Most people would do that. But I don't think these will be people who will still be making content or contributing meaningfully to the internet in five years. And I would turn to the way that we or I consumed beauty content in YouTube back in the early 2010s. So I love makeup tutorials. That's a fun fact about me. Like I love makeup, beauty, fashion. And I've been a hardcore beauty YouTube girl. Um, I remember when Jackie Ina and Jaclyn Hill were still like recording off of those terrible quality cameras in their house, when they were still working at MAC counters, when they were just getting out of the military. I'm generalizing two completely separate types of creator stories, but you know where I'm going with this. So to watch them blossom into the creators now has been great. But I'm also using them as an example because, well, I think, and Jaclyn Hill is very different in that she's been embroiled in a lot of scandal and she's more blatantly tried to rip off her followers. Like, let's talk about Jaclyn Hill first. At a certain point, Jaclyn Hill got greedy for money. I think for me, it started with her Morphe sponsorships. So if you're not familiar, Morphe is a now defunct makeup brand. But at a certain point in the early 2010s and mid-2010s, Morphe was like the dominant go-to YouTube makeup brand and they had a really... Oh, maybe it's not defunct. Maybe I just don't care about it anymore. But they had a really strong strategy of appealing to YouTube people and influencers and giving them um, a 15% off discount code. So you would get a 15% discount and I think they got commission off of that sale. There became a certain point where Jaclyn Hill was pushing Morphe products and Sigma products, another makeup company with a similar strategy, and Sigma and Morphe both specialized in brushes, but they also had, like, complexion products. Um, Morphe's very was very famous for its makeup setting spray. And so there became a point where they were hawking products that didn't work at very young, impressionable teenage girls. And it was to the point where at this point, we knew that they were living in mansions and they had quit their jobs and they were even going to like red carpet events and they were mingling with celebrities and their lives were completely changed. And it's like, you're, I'm 15 years old. I saved up my allowance. You're lying to me about this product. Like I'm going to remember that forever. I bought a makeup palette at the behest of Jacqueline Hill. She promoted it. I saved up, um, my allowance to go get it. It was crap haven't rocked with her since. Jackie Ina, I very much like her content. But one thing I've respected and why I think I would sort of use her um, as an example in juxtaposition to Jaclyn Hill is there was a point where Jackie Ina was oversaturating her content with sponsorships or recommendations, especially because she was one of the OG black girls on YouTube. And she was just She was, there was a point in her videos, maybe like 2014, if I'm remembering correctly, where she was just hawking stuff. And because she was really like that big sister Black creator who was really paving the way for other Black creators in the beauty space, because you have to remember pre-Fenty... A lot of foundations weren't even carried in Jackie Ina's shade. There was a very limited range of complexion products um, for black go- black girls, let alone dark skinned black girls. So Jackie's weight held a lot that specific community. And um, when she started recommending things that just clearly didn't work. Or she was going on camera and sort of giving these reviews her words sort of got degraded and one way that I think she bounced back from that was sort of taking a pull back from sponsorships That's also when she started being more critical of other brands I think that is a way to slowly shift even if she never said it out loud like shift that over saturation again and sort of slowly regain her audience's trust in a way that Jaclyn Hill with all her various makeup scandals you know at one point she was trying to sell people lipstick that was um, hadn't been quality checked, had like mold and hair, in it just very disgusting stuff. You could tell that she was just trying to rush production, and she had worked with very shady companies to get things out the door, as opposed to Jackie Ina, who was like, "Okay, I've, I've kind of rankled my audience a little bit. I'm gonna take a step back." And I think people have already been at that point of exhaustion with a lot of influencers, particularly Instagram influencers, when it's like you're making. You already have such a great life now that you've become super famous and you're one of the lucky few who's been able to translate this into actual wealth because not every content creator um, is able to translate their online presence into wealth. There's a certain business savvy that goes into it. There's also just a certain, are you a person that brands want to work with? And yes, a big part of that that plays into it is like, are you white? Are you already upper middle class or at least middle class? you know are you an aspirational person per our standards that would make for a great marketing campaign. But I'm pointing this out to sort of kill that perception that just because someone has a big following translates into a lot of money. Obviously it makes sense that people would make that inference because the people who are able to make the most money off of social media have big followings but it's not always the case. And so I think part of the reason why TikTok got so popular is because there was this authenticity and refreshing lack of brand endorsements from people who are giving their honest opinions on TikTok because you have the YouTube beauty space which is still pretty saturated with like paid opinions and there's also this issue of people not disclosing paid ads the federal trade commission has sanctioned a few very very high profile influencers but the industry itself is not very regulated but basically the FTC requires that you disclose all ads the girls are not doing that and the girls are saying like oh my god I love this product it's so great and they're not disclosing that they were told by the company to say that. And I actually think that it would be better if you disclosed your ads. I, I find that people are still willing to engage in the very limited sponsored content that I make. Um, when I say like, hey, this is SponCon, sponsored content. Okay, I kind of sounded like a douchebag finance bro when I... <sighs> I'm sorry for saying that, y'all. That was... We'll not do that again. Sponsored content. No need to abbreviate. And then as we discuss, like, Instagram is very saturated with people just trying to sell you falsities, so TikTok reviews seemed like a really authentic way for people to give advice and feedback about products, and I think for a small stretch, it actually was authentic but then ushered in the era of Amazon storefronts. Now I do wanna say throughout all of this, brands have always been reaching out to creators and there has always been undisclosed sponsored content, but I'm talking about the everyday person's opportunity to take a moment of virality and make money off of it. And the Amazon storefront was the idea that if you talked about a product and you linked it to your Amazon, Amazon would give you a hefty commission. Now I no longer know if that commission is as hefty, but I know that for people like, I had a mutual once and she was like, I made a video about the walking treadmill, it got about 500 sales, I made about $500 off of it that is a pretty big opportunity and that's where you get the rise of like reviewing amazon products reviewing amazon products because you can enter into this program and i think at the height of the program and i know amazon discontinued this um not only would you make a percentage of sales off of the item that they had they'd promoted off of your link but if they had made other amazon purchases as well just within like a certain time frame after clicking your link you got commission off of that and given how um ubiquitous, and that might not be the right application of that word, but given how, you know, common buying things off of Amazon is, that becomes a really, really big deal when you have people possibly making commission, even when they're not buying that product. I think as it stands now, you can still make a decent chunk of change just by reviewing things in your Amazon storefront or your um, LTK or other platforms that give your audience the opportunity to buy those same products. And a lot of influencers and content creators are not being responsible in disclosing that there is a commission associated with that. Even if it's a product that you really love, I think that there is something dishonest about not mentioning that if you buy it this specific way, I get a check off of it. And I think the era of the TikTok shop was partially ushered in because TikTok realized how much money they were losing by their platform driving so much revenue to Amazon. A lot of the BS products that people were linking on their Amazon like makeup organizers, you know, those like acrylic cheap things you can also just get in the miscellaneous aisle of a Marshalls, um, tweezers, certain face masks. if nobody's ever told you you should never buy beauty products off of amazon first of all they're selling counterfeit beauty products because a lot of these like retailers are not amazon itself but like third parties who are then selling it via amazon if that makes sense also amazon doesn't check the expiration date of beauty products like it is much safer to go to a place like an ulta a sephora a drugstore that has a vested interest and company policies and keeping um you know, up-to-date makeup and beauty products on their shelves as opposed to an Amazon where, let's be honest, the Amazon workers are not getting paid enough and nor do they have the time to really go through and make sure that everything they're putting in your box is up to the expiry date or actually isn't a counterfeit product. And so now more people than ever are saying, well, hey, I can make more money, more money, um, with TikTok shop And when you make a TikTok shop video, it automatically gets prioritized over all other videos in the For You page. That's why they keep popping up on your feed. No matter how often you hit not interested, I don't want to see this, you're going to continue to be inundated with TikTok shop content because the app is going to prioritize anything that makes it money it's why there's a giant shop button in between your following tab and the for you tab so you can never switch between the two without being reminded that you have the opportunity to purchase things on TikTok it's why there's always these 30% off coupons 40% off coupons it's why at random times when you're scrolling you may see three presents appear on your screen and then TikTok will force you to interact with those presents just to get a TikTok shop gift which is a promotional um discount code to get you to shop on the platform in the same way that Instagram is more of a shopping advertisement platform now simply because Instagram realized how much revenue was being given to other brands by their the users on their own platforms so too is TikTok approaching that game and I think a question that creators will have to reconcile is like how much can I stand to benefit in the short term or perhaps the long term if you consider how much money someone might make and how far that money can go versus trying to build a platform um a long-term audience I think if you only want to make TikTok for a couple short years and you have no ambitions beyond it and you're just like hey this is like a fun little hobby which honestly is kind of the case for me um maybe it won't matter so much well is it the case for me I don't know that's a question that I've been battling um but maybe it won't matter so much as opposed to someone who's like, I wanna use this to launch X, Y, and Z, but you'll always be remembered as the person who is selling BS products on the internet. I would really love to hear your feedback and your thoughts Particularly about, I mean, in general, I love it, but in particular about this episode, because this is something I talk a lot with my in real life friends, just how much less we've been on TikTok because of TikTok shop. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you not agree? Um, If you're purely listening to this as someone who only consumes content and doesn't make it, I would love to hear your thoughts, especially. And now for a new segment that I'm introducing, I want to go through and explain why I'm linking certain articles. Um, You'll know that ever since I started this season, I like to not only have a work cited, but I like to provide articles that are either relevant to the podcast topic or something that I read this week that really took my breath away. And thank you so much to Daniel who emailed me and thought that it would be a good suggestion to not only start reading in my sources, but to also start explaining like why i linked the articles because i would love to talk about what i'm linking you this week now if you have a twitter account you've absolutely heard about this story published february 15th in the cut the cut's financial advice columnist this is really important charlotte cowles published a first-person narrative called the day i put fifty thousand dollars in a Shoebox and handed it to a stranger semicolon I never thought I was the kind of person to fall for a scam. Reader, she absolutely was the type of person to fall for a scam. Now I encourage you to read the article itself because it's very well written, it's engaging, but essentially it tells the story of a woman who in the course of one Tuesday in October put $50,000 cash, cash, in a shoebox. Um, The culmination of inheritance from her grandfather, a marital savings, she's also a successful freelancer, tapes it shut and carries it to the sidewalk, phone clasped to the ear. Don't let anyone hurt me, I told the man on the line feeling pathetic. You won't be hurt, he answered. Just keep doing exactly as I say, and then hands 50 grand to who she believes is a plainclothes CIA agent. If you're like, how did she get here? The long and the short of it is she receives one of those random spam numbers, as I'm sure we've all been getting. And for my non-American listeners, you should know that our government does nothing to protect us against spam calls. And that spam... um, And like fraud phishing schemes, schemes where they try to take your money or your personal information have been on the rise, especially in the post-quarantine time that we're in, where people will use people will find your phone number because an american's phone number is very easily discoverable on the internet and then call you basically asking about your car loan health insurance information stuff that would make you naturally want to stay on the line and hear this person out lately they've been getting more crafty by pretending they're the usps that's the united states postal service and also that they're amazon because as we talked about earlier amazon is so um integral to everyday American shopping life so this girl gets a call from Amazon saying they have a question about her orders and she's like but I didn't make any orders on Amazon and they're like oh okay well we just wanted to put you on notice of fraud she then believes oh "My God, this it, I, hold on I just need to laugh She then believes that a woman named Krista working at Amazon, white gloved her to the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Commission that's, as the name says, in charge of trade. Um, to investigate defrauded customers. Now then she has some conversations with people at the supposed FTC who tell her that she's actually being investigated because she's the victim of an identity fraud. Specifically, he says that 22 bank accounts, nine vehicles, and four properties were registered to my name. The bank accounts had wired more than $3 million overseas, mostly to Jamaica and Iraq. Did I know anything about this? No, I said, do I know anyone named Stella suki Kwong? I don't think so, I said. He texted me a photo of her ID, which he had claimed had been found in a car rented under my name that was abandoned on the southern border of Texas with blood and drugs in the trunk. A home in New Mexico affiliated with the car rental had subsequently been raided, he added, and authorities found more drugs, cash, and bank statements registered to my name and social security number. If she was to believe the man on the phone, this officer of the federal trade commission, a branch of the United States government, she was in deep shit. Of course she wasn't because this was all a scam. Essentially what goes on is they transfer her to the FBI and then the CIA all within the same phone call and it's really important to know this, who tell her that in order to get out of this investigation and clear her name she can't tell anyone about the scam not her husband not the multiple attorneys that she's related to not her job she can't even hang up the phone lest they not be able to contact her again that's how secret and important this investigation is and the only way to make it go away taking out 50 grand cash and meeting with the plainclothes CIA agent who will not have a badge and who will not be able to identify himself with any sort of traceable trackable number. to make this problem go away reader she does it she does it she goes to the bank the bank gives her a pamphlet that says you know when you're being asked to do things like this it's a scam the bank tries to warn her she says these type of things don't happen to me i'm ivy league educated i am a journalist living on the upper something side of new york city these things don't happen to me yes they absolutely did did she get that money back no she did not you should check out the article um It's really hard to read this without laughing not because I think it's not something that's horrible and I don't feel bad for her but there's a certain condescension that she approaches the article with and it begins by pointing out and this is really important when we read I think one of my favorite comments um on the cut of all time and I am someone who avidly reads the cut quote when I told people this story most of them say the same thing you don't seem like the type of person this would happen to what they mean is I'm not senile or hysterical or rube." she also goes on to cite a study that well educated people or those with good jobs were just as vulnerable to scams as anyone else I'm telling you nobody who grew up poor would put 50 grand in a suit ca- or in a shoebox and hand it to a plain clothes agent and I think i'll use the cuts comment now user mr piss on the cuts commenting forum said the following the whole lead-in how she's not like poor stupid lonely people she imagines the easily scammed had a certain je ne sais quoi that i instantly clocked as the mutterings of an effete, inbred child of rich people and my ability to clock that sort of thing is one of the few things I like about myself. Her husband works for a nonprofit. She's 39, but they live in a $4 million house in Prospect Heights. She's related to the Roosevelt's. Ivy League is a given, but she felt the need to highlight it on her personal website, as an aside that columbia Uni- it's Columbia University. A child named Ripley. This whole thing is just another rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic of increasingly hubristic, insulated fail sons and failed daughters are discovering the otherwise object permanence level of obviousness and obvious lessons the rest of us understand. You think Amazon will white glove you over to the CIA in one fail swoop, tell me you've never done your taxes. If that isn't the perfect summation of how I feel and what I wanna say, there is a certain idea that this could happen to anyone. When putting aside the fact that most people don't have $50,000 in a savings account, the idea that most people would hand that money over and assume that the government would walk them through it, you know what I would never believe no matter how much money I have, that the United States government is going to bail me out in an investigation where they've also found me connected to a bunch of crimes. I would need a lawyer for that. I would love your feedback. Please read the article itself. I do think it's really interesting and it's very engaging. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in and as always, I love your feedback. Goodbye.